2: The lonesome organ grinder cries, the silver saxophone say I should refuse you, the cracked bells then wash out horns blow into my face with scorn, but it's not that way, I wasn't born to lose you, I want you, I want you, I want you so bad, honey, I want you. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan One Song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheel and Rob Kelly, and joining me once again for this special Valentine's Day episode of Pod Dylan is my pal Tara Zook. Hi, Tara have I am back <laughs> It is so great to have you back. I have told uh, many many people that your show that we did together uh when we talked about Highlands, uh the epic Highlands, <laughs> uh was one of my favorite shows and and uh, last year when I applied for the Philadelphia Podcast Festival to try and get in, uh they asked for your three of your best pod Dylans. And this was one of the shows that I submitted. So I am, wow. and it's all because of you. So I am just so happy to have you back.
1: Well, you know, I enjoyed doing that show so much. I'm really glad to be on the show. And that's the reaction to the Highlands podcast was really positive. And, uh, you know, and I just had a lot of fun doing it. And talking about Dylan is always a good way to spend your time. Uh, and yeah, So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back on.
2: Oh, you're you're very welcome. So, so yeah, I said as I mentioned, uh, this is the Valentine's Day episode of Pod Dylan. I don't normally go out of my way to do sort of holiday related shows, but I don't know. Valentine's Day was uh, actually by the time everybody's hearing this was was yesterday, but it's it's kind of the weekend, and I thought it would be fun to just talk about a straight ahead Bob Dylan love song. He's written some <laughs> of the great love songs in in all of pop music. And so I just thought, let me just, you know, we, we talk about grim stuff and heavy stuff on the show, but I want to talk about something just fun and where Bob is just really being utterly romantic with somebody. And so Tara and I, you know, of course, there was no shortage of songs to pick from, but uh, Tara, when you put this on your list, I immediately selected it. I Want You, which is, of course, from Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. It is one of my all time favorite Bob Dylan songs. I, the, the, that guitar riff. Oh. That is in this song. That dun, dun, Wayne dun, Moss. Dun,
1: dun, dun. Wayne Moss's it, guitar is amazing.
2: I could listen to this song. I think for three hours. Just that riff. That it's yeah. so incredibly catchy. And while this was a single, this was released as a single off of Blonde on Blonde, it, it was never, like, that big of a hit. And I'm kind of amazed, because to me, it's like, this is everything you want. It's got the Bob Dylan kind of mystique to it, but yet it's so incredibly catchy. I mean, it's like, it, to me, this is, like, Beatles-level catchy pop hook. So, uh, so w- what's your feeling about, about this song? Well,
1: What I love about this song, I love it, too. And, you know, its position on Blonde on Blonde is absolutely perfect. And <laughs> it kind of... Um, it cuts through. There's a lot of very long, very deep songs on Blonde on Blonde, oh, yeah. very complex. And this song, it's three minutes and six seconds of complete, <laughs> like, pop music, jingly. The brilliant guitar riff from Wayne Moss, you've got that little punctuated organ sound coming from Al Cooper. You've got the amazing drumming there from, uh, I think it was Kenneth who was doing the drumming on that one. Oh man, and that guy. And especially like on the the mono remixes that were done, like the drums really come through really sharp and clear. And and it's just like you say, it makes you want to dance. It's like a real upbeat song, but you've still got that Bob Dylan the lyrics, the imagery, the characters, uh, the metaphors, so you've got everything you could possibly want from a song. I was surprised when I looked it up to see how it did as a single that it didn't get any higher. I think it did make it to the top 20 in the billboard,
2: but it peaked at number 20, it, right? It at It just
1: 20. about made number 20, and yeah, uh, it just, that surprises me, really does, because it is an amazing song, and it's, it's so fun, and you know, it has no right to pack so much information into a three-minute pop song. <laughs> but, you know, you, you look at it and go, how did he do that? And it's it's amazing. It's a really great song. So when I made the list, I think you said, oh, send me three or four. And I think I had 13 on my list. Of <laughs> Something like that, yeah. that I want to talk about. It's like, <laughs> and when you pick that one, it's like brilliant. We did Highlands last time, which is his longest song. And so doing a three-minute pop song, just let's do it.
2: Yeah, right. I like I like changing it up like that. I mean, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, the, this I'm glad you mentioned that. Of course, the other stuff on 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 the uh, Blonde on Blonde, because of course, all, so many of those songs are these epic, long yeah. uh, things. Sad Eye Lady of the Lowlands and Visions of Johanna and Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again, and you know, in, in a in a lot of ways, a lot of that album is preoccupied with uh, love lost, uh, the the morning after. I mean, sooner or later, one of us must know. And yet, this is such a straight ahead devotional song, and and you know. Bob Dylan is, of course, so complex, and that's part of the reason I love him. Is that there's so much to these songs, and yet I like it when he take occasionally strips it all down and just yep. does it really simple. And this song, I again, another thing I love about it is the dichotomy of the 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 verses. Which are incredibly complex and to the point where you don't even understand what's going on because it's just one crazy character after the next. And then you've got the chorus, which could not be more simple. And so the song I, I quoted a little bit at the top and he goes on. He says, the drunken politician leaps upon the street where mothers meep and the savers who are fast asleep. They wait for you and I wait for them to interrupt. Keep drinking from my broken cup and ask me to open up the gate for you. I want you, I want you, I want you so bad, honey. I want you, and again, I love rock's greatest lyricist mm-hmm. is okay with writing, "Honey, I want you, I want you so bad." I mean, just couldn't that be? It's like Frankenstein talk. It's so simple.
0: Yeah,
1: somebody was writing, and I—I I, I read so many books. Sometimes I forget where I read it, but I, someone was saying that that balance is really important to the song. That you have this kind of almost an ethereal environment with all these characters and it's it's not real it's almost like a dream in the in the verses but then it's the chorus that is so concrete and it's that desire and longing that is the concrete part of the song not the dream sequences in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the verses but but the fact that he just has this desire that is preoccupying him in every way and he's not got any words for that he doesn't try In the song to seduce the lady, he doesn't try to flatter her. It's just, I want you so bad. There is nothing else to say. There's no other word. And so you've got this kind of, the the verses that are very dreamlike with all these characters, and then you've got this hard, concrete, but this is how I'm feeling right now. And yeah, I, I... I think that's one of the balances that makes the song so fantastic.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I remember many years ago uh, back, I've, I've mentioned this uh, this person on the show before, my pal Dan Eaker, who I've been seeing Bob Dylan concerts with for a quarter of a century now because wow. we're both very old. And uh, I remember <laughs> talking to him about this song. And then he had this, I, had, I, I sort of always had a tough time untangling the crazy verses. I mean, he goes on, all, all my fathers, they've gone down. True love, they've been without it. But all their daughters put me down because I don't think about it. Well, I return to the Queen of Spades and talk with my chambermaid. She knows that I'm not afraid to look at her. She is good to me, and there's nothing she doesn't see. She knows where i like to be, but it doesn't matter. And I remembered I just was like, what is all this? And then I remember talking to Dan about it, and Dan said, well, he just thought it was like – like you just said. It was like all of this crazy stuff that was going on around Bob Dylan at the time. And Bob <laughs> Dylan in 1966, that was you know, probably literally the craziest time of his life because we were right. just before the, the motorcycle accident where everything sort of stopped. Uh, literally and figuratively but like all the craziness that was around him all the people surrounding him all the hype all these these crazy press conferences where people were asking him insane questions and things like that Mm -hmm. and imagine trying to find the focus to just do what you need to do, whether it's write a song or 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 just be with someone like just yep. be, you know, I mean, of course, as we know, at this point, he had just gotten married uh, that a couple of months earlier in late 1965 to Sarah Lowndes. Yep. And imagine just being able to have the presence of mind to be like, hey. I'm just going to like, for instance, sit here at a dinner table and share a meal with somebody when I'm Bob Dylan, you know, when all this crazy (laughs) stuff is going on. And so all of these people are swirling around and the queen of spades and the the, the dancing child in his Chinese suit, all of that is fighting for your attention. But yet the feeling he has for this person cuts through all that. It just goes right through. And, you know, that's I feel like that's what if you're lucky enough to have that in your life. And it, in some ways, doesn't even necessarily need to be romantic love, but there's something Mm -hmm. that you want so bad and you desire so bad that it cuts through all the noise in your life. Yeah. It just, you can put it all out and it's just this. And I want this thing. I want you. I want you, honey. I want you. It's just something, it's so beautiful. And like I said, that guitar riff. It's just so, I mean, that's the kind of thing where I'm imagining them noodling around in the studio, right? Yeah. And when he, what
1: was the name of the guitarist that you said? Um, The guitarist on this was, um, it was Wayne Moss, I think.
2: Wayne Moss. Yeah. Okay. Wayne Moss. I mean, imagine sitting there in the studio and just kind of, did it, did, you know. And I don't mean to suggest that these musicians were were just banging around like it wasn't uh, uh, full of effort, because of course it is. Yeah. But imagine sitting there and doing these riffs and then just doing the dun dun dun. Like the minute you hear that, you're oh my god! Well, <laughs> you know, like you imagine what like that. This is going to be a hit record now because that that. That oh, riff yeah. is so
1: hypnotic. Yep. Well, I know that Al Cooper was talking about it. Al Cooper is a really great storyteller. Like, there's, there's videos online of him and there's interviews with him. And he just tells the stories of the time in such a way that is really evocative of the people and what was going on. And uh, it's funny you should say that about the, the guitar riff. Because I think with this particular song, what had happened, according to like Al Cooper and the, and the other people around, is that... Dylan was still working on the song uh, when they were in Nashville doing the Nashville recording sessions. And it was recorded on the last recording session. And it was the last song they recorded it between three o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock in the morning. It took them four hours, (laughs) multiple takes. I think there were only three complete takes. There were a few stops and starts and a rehearsal one, but Al Cooper had actually been working on this song with Dylan in his hotel room, according to Al Cooper. And Dylan had taught Al Cooper the piano uh, part. And Al Cooper would play the piano part while Dylan was writing lyrics and working on them and trying to get them right. And Al Cooper kept pestering him to record it, to record it. But he reckoned that Dylan was just deliberately, like, waiting till the last minute because he knew that Al Cooper really wanted to do it, and he was just teasing him. But. Uh... <laughs> working on this in the hotel room and so really al cooper said like he used those piano parts when he transferred to the organ um in the recording studio um he was kind of punctuating the the song with the organ and if you listen to it it is it's almost like a counterbalance to dylan's voice at the end of lines it's you know just like a little and um
2: it's almost circusy in a way
1: yeah it is isn't it it's got all it's got that feel to it and um Yes. Yeah, so they worked on this and he said that when they came into the studio and Wayne Moss played this guitar part, like it just blew him away. And it's oh, like, I... that's, what, that's what brought the song together, because he hadn't heard it really with any guitars in the background. they would just been working on it with the piano um, and they've been working on it in Dylan's hotel room. So that that's, you know, I think that sound is definitely what brings the whole thing together. You've got the guitar, you've got the organ, Dylan's harmonica at the beginning. Like when he int- when he comes in with the intro, the way his harmonica wails—it's got that mm-hmm. that longing—is in the in the harmonica as well. That sound—it just sets everything up. And I just I just think that the sound of it is probably like when Dylan talked on Blonde and Blonde about that thin, wild Mercury sound—the right. metallic and bright gold. I think this song is probably what, if somebody was to say, well, what does he mean? If you play them that song, I think they'd get that. Kind of thin, wild mercury feeling from it.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like a it's got like a sheen to it. Yeah, if you can, if you can use that term for music, which yep. of doesn't have a visual component, <laughs> it has that feel to it to me. And and he also, yeah, I'm glad a couple of things I wanted to mention. First of all, you mentioned the the thin, wild mercury sound. That's of course one of the most famous Bob Dylan quotes. And I think from that same interview that that he pulled that quote, he said something else, or maybe it was later. But he said that in his mind. His songs have a mathematical structure ah. uh, underneath them that only he can see, and they sort of are like uh, it's almost like using, uh, you know, um, b- b- when you're putting, a, building a building and you, mm-hmm. you really give it this strong metal foundation to where no matter what you put on top, this thing is not going to move. Yes. It's just built so solidly into the ground. And I, I, you know, I can appreciate what he's talking about. I don't really hear it because, again, I don't know music. But this is one of those things—the the construction of the song. And you mentioned the other versions, and I've, I've, there's the other takes have been released on various mm-hmm. bootleg series compilations. And it's almost there. It's yep. not quite. It's yep. it's a little more ramshackle. The guitar isn't as as high up in the mix. Mm-hmm. So and his vocal is a little slower. So it's like you you could hear them getting to it, but they're just not there. And and this is you know one of the times that I think that Bob Dylan. Released the best version. I mean, there's his his career is littered with <laughs> not the best versions being released, but this one. I yep. feel like this was the one. They knew this was the one. We
1: didn't use. have to face palm this one. This is yeah. this is a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He left this off, Blonde on Blonde, and
1: he's like, no, why did you do that? Ah, um, Yeah, many times I waved my fist to the sky and like, why, (laughs) why did you do that, Bob? There was an interview in 1966 around the same time that Dylan recorded Blonde on Blonde, and uh, he was talking about how he thinks of a song in terms of the whole thing. So it's not just the words, it's not just the music. They come together to make a sound and he hears the sound of what he wants to say. And I think this song really captures that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I it said, it, it sounds really of a piece, and mm-hmm. it is just sort of amazing. And, and like I said, when, when I was talking about the, the sort of mathematical precision, it's, it's what I hear is like, this song, as you mentioned, is only three minutes and six seconds. It's a perfect pop song length. Uh, but like I, if this song had been like eight minutes, I feel like I wouldn't get tired of it. I feel like that yeah. riff is so refreshing to hear, and it's just so upbeat and delightful mm-hmm. and so hooky. That I just – I was like, okay Bob, if you had decided to do 10 more verses, I would have been down with it. It would have been fine. But it's the fact that it is so brief and it's it's so punchy and then it gets out. But I feel like this is one of those songs that just has – like this is off topic just slightly. But like um, Ballad of a Thin Man, which we've covered on the show before, Ballad of a Thin Man to me goes on a little too long. There's right. a point where I'm like, all right, I'm ready for this to wrap up. And then he's going into another <laughs> verse and I'm like, ah, all right, maybe he could have trimmed this out. I, I feel like that song, I know that song's you know, famous and it's a classic and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. But I do feel like that song, I'm just using it as an example, wears yeah. out its welcome a little bit to right. me. Right. This is one of those songs that does not. Now, maybe it is because you, and it is only three minutes and it it, it sticks out. Sort of so it it contrasts a better word it contrasts so so much with the longer epic songs yep. that that's what makes it so good maybe if this had been seven minutes it would just get lost because you're like well there's one two yeah there's just too many epics on this but the fact that you've got these huge long songs and then this little punchy thing and then he gets out so the final verse that he he sings he says now you're dancing child with his chinese suit he spoke to me i took his flute no i wasn't very cute to him was i but i did it though because he lied because he took you for a ride because time was on his side and because i i want you i want you honey i want you so bad now Many people, of course, have suggested that The Time Is On His Side he is a reference to Brian Jones that's right, from the Rolling Stones and Nico, who I, b- I believe was a paramour of both Bob and Brian Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like anything with these Dylan songs, yeah, that could be what it was. That might have been on Bob's mind when he wrote the line, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't... Mm-hmm. It's a nice reference, but it doesn't mean that that's the reference and it doesn't mean anything else. No, it, it's just... It, i think you can there to me and it's hard for me to to uh, attach dancing child with a chinese suit as anything related to my life right you know what i mean like i can't yeah. i can't pin that down but it doesn't matter because again it's it this song makes me feel romantic and mm-hmm. that's the, the point of it
1: that, absolutely i think with that last that last verse is really interesting because yeah everybody goes to the brian jones analogy there and it might have been Brian Jones. Somebody said, yeah, he used to have a suit, one of these like Chinese style that was fashionable with the collar. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, he played the flute. He played the recorder. He was a multi-instrumentalist. He was very close to Dylan. There was the Nico connection. But I think that what is more interesting about that last verse is the fact that he has this dancing child. There is a, there's a recurring theme in Dylan where if he has a rival for a love interest... He puts that rival down as being like a man boy. <laughs> and that happens. I mean, you've got the little boy lost in Visions of Johanna, right? And, yeah, you know, yeah. and there's other songs as well where he's really putting down his rivals. I mean, maybe not as a man child, but he's belittling them. It's like, how dare he come up and say that to me? Or, you know, he thinks he can go and talk to you, but, you know. I know better. Even in something like leopard skin pillbox hat, he's he's taking the Mickey out of the the, the love interest of, of his lady, right? And so this, so, this guy never thought of this, but you're completely right. So there. I see that last verse as being more like, you know, I've got this rival. I'm gonna I'm gonna make him look like a kid, you know. Oh, I took his suit and I, and you know I wasn't that cute. I was a bit mean to him, and you, you kind of think he's a bit cheesed off because this guy. It almost comes across as being like. Um, I always have this image of the, the, the rival, almost being a bit smug, you know, like he's uh, like I'm so cute. I've got my Chinese, I've got my Chinese uh, suit on, and you know, and it's like I'm going to put you down. I'm going to take that flute away, and I'm going to put you down. And but that verse is really great because by the time you get to the chorus, that or that the, the triplet before the chorus, when I did it because he lied because he took you for a ride. And then there's that line, because time was on his side. And at the beginning of that, he almost goes to say, and, but he stops. He stutters. He goes, ah, because time was on his side. There's like mm. a ah thing. And what is really interesting is that when I see that, I think I remember reading a couple of years ago, I reread Christopher Rick's uh, Visions of Sin. And he mentions this song in the, the lust and desire part of his book. And what's interesting is he picked out, Kind of the way I did is that it was a deliberate stutter because or or at least even if it wasn't deliberate, it was um, it was kind of uh, showing us how the singer is feeling, because it's almost like he starts off with all this bravado. You know, oh, he's just a little dancing child. I took his flute. I wasn't cute to him. But then there's the rhetorical question. Was I? And it's almost like he's seeking reaff- reaffirmation on that. Mm. So he's asking the question, was I? Like, but then by the time he gets to that line, because time was on his side, he's got that stutter in there. And it's almost like, like you know, this guy's no good. He took you for a ride. He lied. And then by the time he gets to it, he just has to admit, no, nah, I was mean to him because I'm jealous. It's like by the end, he's kind of broken down and he's admitted his jealousy. So it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, I always see it as being like, he starts off with this bravado, and then by the end, he's just right back to the same position with just, <laughs> ah, I just want you, that's it. <laughs> and But the interesting thing is that that stutter was edited out when they did the mono, when they re-released them all on mono and did the remixes. Apparently, not in the UK version, but in the American and Canadian version, they edited out the stutter at the beginning of that line. What the? What? That's what I. That's what I read in a in a magazine that somebody complained about it um, when they were doing a review of it. That's crazy. So why I, would you Why you would you insertion. touch a note of this? I know you wouldn't mess that's, with it. would you? Stalin's vocals are just perfect on this. Yeah, uh, that that oh, that. So they like, it, There goes all of my theory about him stammering and him making the admission about jealousy. But yeah, um, they edited it out. Apparently.
2: Jeez, I really like that. I. I I never thought about that, but he does do that. Where he's taught when he does talk about a romantic rival, he does his best to me. I mean, good lord, uh, Dave Woodcock and I just talked about that a couple episodes ago for the "She's Your Lover Now" episode, which of course was recorded for Blonde on Blonde, didn't Mm -hmm. make it on, but it was And that—that's the ultimate. This other guy, yeah, this guy that you're—he's who you know—he keeps on saying everything twice to me. I mean, so it's like, yeah, he—that's a—that's amazing, Tara. I never (laughs) thought of that, but he really does. He really puts a bullseye on you and. Man, um, it's it's sort of – again, this is off topic a little bit, but this is what happens when we do the show, is that I have a friend um, who has actually been on this show. I won't say who it is, but he's been – But uh, well, I said he. He's been a guest <laughs> on this show, and uh, he's a wonderful human being. He's one of my closest friends, but he has in an, an unerring way of putting someone down by referring to them by a very quick – three or four word phrase. And I don't mean it's the same phrase for each person. He manages to come up with a phrase for this person. Oh, they're boom and boom. And he and I'll be he's such a sweet guy, but I'll be damned if he's not a thousand percent accurate every time. And I have said to him, I don't want to know what your phrase is for me. I don't want to know because it will crush me because it'll be perfect. It'll be exactly correct. And I don't want to live with that. So just keep it to yourself. And he keeps saying, oh, I don't have one for you. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. So it's, I feel like with Bob Dylan, like you imagine what it would feel like to have Bob Dylan put his sights on you. Oh boy. That had to be absolutely terrifying. And then again, to do it as you just said in this final verse, kind of off on the side. Because, of course, the song is not about the guy. No. It's not about the guy in the Chinese suit. It's about the woman that he's talking to. But yep. imagine being being able to cast such side-eye seemingly so effortlessly. But that's <laughs> a ama- I never thought about that this entire time. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the funny thing is as well that, like, that, that last line and it has – that's why I kind of connected it because he talks about time. Time was on his side, and it's almost like this rival's got the upper hand. That Dylan is is the the singer, the protagonist, is so desperate in his in his um, desire and just I want you, I want you, and he feels like time is running out, and he's got to get his message across. And so time is like a big factor, and then there's that pause which emphasise it. Like I talked last time in Highlands about how Dylan can use silence to make a point. And he does mm-hmm. it in the last line there too. And that's what I think that whole last verse is all about um, putting down the rival and feeling like he's got to knock this guy out of the picture because his time is running out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's a great it's a great way to finish the song. It really is. I also love
2: the way that Bob, uh, for when he sings in the chorus "I want you," he kind of changes it up every time, which Mm -hmm. I always think he's he's doing that just to keep himself entertained. (laughs) Uh, But in in the last verse, he kind of puts like a slight southern twang on it because he kind of goes, "Honey, I I want you." He does He just he he just does like a different little, and I just love that little note. He just changes it up for himself. He does that on "Desolation Road" too, where he keeps changing the the way the syllables fall. Mm -hmm. And I think he just does that in his head just to kind of like let me try this, let me try it on this way to try let me try it now and it just That's right I, I i love this that he's his mind is always active he's never just singing it the mm-hmm. same way every time it's just oh. it's remarkable
1: well any song that has that re- repetition in it of like a repeated chorus or whatever he does the same thing in joker man for example yes, um, yes he does beautifully i love joker man it's one of my favorites and yeah the way he sings each repetition just slightly differently um and yeah, it's wonderful. And you know, talking about how he changes his voice, um, what's really interesting is how the song has evolved over the years when he's been playing it live. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the last time he played it live was in Vancouver, two thousand and five. Yep. Um and that recording is actually available. Um of, of oh, is show. it really? Yep, it's on YouTube. Better not point the, the sensors at that. They might pull it down. But um <laughs> it is it is you can out find there. It, everybody. If, you, if you can yeah, everybody go out and do YouTube search of Vancouver 2005, Bob Dylan singing I Want You. By that time, he has actually turned it. And I mean, because he's got older um, and his attitudes have changed, but also his voice has changed. He can't still sing it like he did, you know, when he was in his 20s and, and uh, you know, slamming it out there. And <laughs> it's become like almost like a ballad, slight like country feel. You've got yeah, steel yeah. guitar behind it. But it is so... It's so beautiful. It's like, it's so regretful. And it's like, it's a longing for missed opportunities and how he's still yearning for that. And he takes out the dancing child verse actually in that and he repeats um, Return to the Queen of Spades verse. Mm, Um, And it's like this country swing and it's beautiful and it's sad and regretful. But his voice when he does that, I want you. he's still got that yearning and that. It, it's just beautiful. Yeah, people should go and, and and listen to that. I know that some people were not too impressed with the 2005 tour, hmm. um, but but that it, there's a really nice recording of it. It's a nice and clear. You can hear hear the recording really well, even though it's an audience recording. That's so.
2: a, yeah, and this he's only. You mentioned the live performance. He's only done this song 214 times. <laughs> Uh, I mean, again, for most I people, that's...
1: I saw the list and I went, "Whoa, that's a lot." But yeah, yeah, tunes. that
2: sounds like a lot. But I mean, over the course of a fifty-year song, it really sure. isn't, considering what a pop hit uh again it wasn't that much of a hit but so much of a pop single this is yep uh, and he never performed it until 1976 wow. which is yeah. amazing i mean now of course you know he he created this song right at the moment of the, the motorcycle accident and then he went for many years without touring <laughs> so there was a huge gap where he just wasn't touring at all so it wasn't like yeah. he was doing shows and ignoring it yeah. but nevertheless this thing did not get a live debut until 10 years after it was created and then really not that much and he did perform it at um the mtv unplugged shows
1: that's right. Uh,
2: it's not on that record, but it is uh, one of the bootlegs, Something and he does it like the way you talk about it, kind of a more slow, mournful version. And yeah. I was looking up some covers. It's been covered a lot. Bruce Springsteen did a, a cover that's like seven minutes long, which is wow. takes the, the, the version that Bob's been doing now and stretches it out even further. Oh. Uh, and it's it's good. I like it. I mean, mm-hmm. you could, obviously, anytime Bruce Springsteen is covering Bob Dylan, it's out of respect and Absolutely. deep admiration. Yeah. Uh, but he does, he does turn it into that version you're talking about, which yeah. is the kind of – you know, slow, slightly sad, mournful uh, mm-hmm. version of it, and uh, we mentioned that the, like I said it was on, uh, it was released as a single. The B side of the single featured a live performance that he was doing with the band slash the Hawks, oh. and for for over, I'm I think until Biograph, mm-hmm. it was the only officially released audio sample of what that tour sounded like wow uh it was literally the only that just crammed over on a b-side huh. uh for i want you was that i think it was i think one too many mornings i believe is the the flip side to that <laughs> record and that was it as the only evidence that they had of that tour uh until of course biograph and then some of this, and then later on the bootleg series but uh but yeah i mean it's it i i can understand that at this age at, at 78 79 he just he can't do the pop Diddy version. That's yep. just not what it that's not to his purposes anymore. Yep. But man, this thing i just I look at this and you said it it just has that sheen to it, and it just makes me feel romantic yep uh it's just i mean there 's lots of other great verses to quote if you want to uh, really, oh. uh turn turn someone 's head yeah uh, to quote from but this, theres there 's just something so wonderfully straightforward about just the den dun, 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 and then i love i want you, I want you so bad honey, I want you it 's just absolutely just so so beautiful
1: oh it it really is, and um you know what what I really like about this is that um, the characters in that that verse about the Queen of Spades, I really love the female characters in that verse um, because and this, this is this is this um, is it's just a really interesting way that I I tend to like connect things in Dylan. I kind of uh, mm. look at things from from my own perspective, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in the way he portrays female characters. You know, I'm I'm it's it's a really interesting idea of. Of um you know different I was going to say different types of women in his songs, you know, and they represent different things to him and in this in this verse about the queen of spades and you 've got so you 've got the queen of spades herself who's like the queen of spades metaphorically and in imagery in across cultures, the queen of spades' card um usually represents a very strong and powerful woman, and it's the chambermaid that he that he goes to, someone who's mm-hmm. working for a living, someone who's very astute, someone who's very thoughtful. And she's so generous and magnanimous to him. You know, she doesn't care that he's after another woman. She do- she sees him for exactly what he is, and it doesn't <laughs> matter to her. She just accepts him for what he is. She knows he's not going to, you know, marry her or give her the world or be romantic. <laughs> There's none of that kind of, you know, going on. It's just very realistic. She knows what he wants and she sees who he really is. And I just, I just love that character of, 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 of uh, the chambermaid in there. And it's, it's kind of, it makes me think of other, other Dylan songs too. Cause I think for example, even on the same album, like stuck inside a mobile, the verse about Ruthie. When Ruthie, Ruthie says, come
2: see her in her honky tonk lagoon. lagoon.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, Ruthie kind of reminds me a little bit of the chambermaid, you know, cause she's like, she knows he's got his debutante, you know, and she's just like, mm, the uh, debutante knows <laughs> what you knows need, what you but I, need, I, know I know what, what you want. <laughs> it's like she sees him really clearly, and she's a similar kind of woman to the chambermaid, in my mind, when I start connect- connecting things. And then I started thinking when I was listening to the song the other day, you know, so you've got the chambermaid against the object of his desire and I Want You. You've got Ruthie and the debutante, and then you've got on the same album, you've got Johanna and Louise in Visions of Johanna. And so, you know, there's, all, there's this kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the different types of women in his life and what they offer him. It's just really interesting.
2: And, it, and yeah, it's it's great. It's, I've mentioned this in other episodes. It's like you can never quite figure out what time period these songs take place in because yeah. there's always these references to stuff. I mean, the Queen of Spades and a Chambermaid. Who the hell still has a Chambermaid? Exactly. In, in 1966, you know? Exactly. These songs are always like, what the hell? Like, they always feel like there's Tons. cowboys wandering around or like maidens in castles. It's just. It's, yeah. I mean, obviously it's not meant to be taken literally, but it's, I love these references where you're just never sure what's going on. But yeah, that's right. I mean, they said there is a lot of similarity between Ruth. I mean, again, imagine these people were all on his mind yep. when he was writing these songs. And, um, you mentioned the sort of the pauses he puts in and the stutter. I love in that phrase where he says, she knows where I like to be, but it doesn't matter. And he puts that pause. Yeah. Where he goes, she knows where I like to be, but it doesn't matter and I just love the yeah. pause that he puts it. It's fantastic.
1: He uses that timing so precisely. He's like the singing version of a comedian. If you get that punchline and you hit it right on and you've got the timing right, and he does it with the songs, he just hits those punchlines every time to get across what he's trying to say. Love it. I absolutely love it. And I mean if you want to go a bit highfalutin here, um <laughs> Sure, why not? Why not? Um The Queen of Spades actually was a play by Pushkin. Um, a Russian, uh, not, not a Russian play, a Russian, uh, short story that became an opera. Um, and it's all about, um, funnily enough, it's about a chambermaid. Oh. <laughs> based on the story of a chambermaid. And, I, and like, I don't know, like somebody wrote about this in a book and I was like, what? And yeah, I looked and it's all about a card game. It's a story about a man who gets involved in a card game and it's all supernatural and ethereal and, 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 um. Yeah, it kind of mixes. And, of course, Dylan mentions tarot cards and the icing yeah. and, and all sorts of different things in his other songs. And so having the Queen of Spades in there is, um you kind of start wondering where his mind's going. Uh, but I think with this song, the great the great thing about this song is that you have all these characters, and they're all very metaphorical, but you don't have to know that. Right. You right. don't have to delve into it in a way, like he says in that day. Line it doesn't matter, because it doesn't matter. because it's the whole it's the it's the atmosphere that he creates, and it's the words and it's the sound and it's the timing, and so in a way it doesn't matter if you pull you know if you start pulling out quotations and saying what does that mean, how does that work? It's more, it's more the overall song and the atmosphere of it that is important, and yeah, and that's I, that's really nice about this song.
2: Yeah, it's a I said it's a wonderfully romantic. Song yep. it is is one of my all I would put it on my probably if I had to distill the hunt the hunt thousands of Bob Dylan songs at this point this would be on my twenty favorites of all time I just I literally never get tired of listening to it it's just it's just that durable and it said it, it makes me feel uh, there's lots of songs Dylan songs that make me feel lots of different ways but mm-hmm. this one always makes me feel happy because it's <laughs> just such a wonderful song of of it means a lot of things but just a song of utter devotion and and clarity mm-hmm. which I really really enjoy. So uh, this yep. is just great Tara. Thank you so much. As always, I really enjoy talking to you and <laughs> we are still, we have to work on getting you to see Bob Dylan at some point. We so, still this still has to be a thing. Bob has to come to your neck of the woods. He'd been all over the world. He does concerts in like Reykjavik for Pete's sakes. He can come over to where you are and do a show. We have to get that movement.
1: I am keeping my fingers crossed. He's, uh, he's going to Japan this spring. Um, so I'm hoping he heads uh, towards Europe and the UK at there some point this year that would be absolutely amazing cuz i am ready to go see that man live got to have the experience so yep yeah, in the meantime i'm really enjoying listening to the to the recordings and and the books and just uh just enjoying the music and enjoying the man who was Bob Dylan.
2: <laughs> <Congratulations>. <laughs> we, we didn't come up with the ha- We didn't uh, fully come up with the hashtag. That we have to come up with for this effort, like Ronaldo <laughs> and Tara, or something <laughs> like that. Some
1: people uh, came up with some really good ones in the yeah. comment section. That was really yep. good.
2: <laughs> yeah, we got, we got it. This has got to happen at some point. So, Tara, Absolutely. why don't they? Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find your writings on the
1: internet? Okay, I have my own website, and it's um, it's on Yola site. Let me just get. The URL, it's a very short one, <laughs> um, but I don't want to give your listeners the wrong one if they are interested in having a peep at it. I did plug your radio show on my website, by the way. Oh, thank you
2: very yeah. much. I've
1: got a, bit, a link right at the top there to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Um, <laughs> thank you. It is just my name, TaraZug, T A R is Yolasite dot com. That's it. All right. And excellent. Actually, if you Google my name and Bob Dylan's name together, pew, you'll get it. Because oh, everything I write is. about Dylan in some way or another, um, <laughs> whether I want it to be or not, right? There
2: you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: If anyone is interested, my articles are up there. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, great to talk to anybody about Dylan, like making new friends who are into Dylan and hearing different points of view. Uh, so, yeah, seek Absolutely. me out. Look for me.
2: <laughs> absolutely everybody you Good. should go and do that go check out tyra's writings they're wonderful he like said it was uh you uh, what, laura tenchard put us together and then i great. went off and read a bunch of your writings and i was like oh this is great i can't wait to talk to this person and like i said you, you your episode the highlands was one of my favorite ones that we ever did and so i am always thrilled to to have you on the show and so again thank you so much for coming on
1: i really enjoy doing it thank you very much rob and i'll be happy to come back anytime <laughs>
2: Excellent. So, of course, everybody, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, finewaterpodcast.com. We're also, of, of course, on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We are on Spotify. We are burning it up over on Spotify. Thanks, everybody, for that. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, and there you can pledge various uh, levels. And one of one of the rewards you can get is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So I have to give special thanks to Robert Ward and another contributor who chooses to remain masked and Anonymous, thank you for your support of Pod Dylan. I really do appreciate it. So that is going to do it for this episode. If I want you, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, go out and listen to some Bob Dylan romantic songs. They, you know, just as we're signing off, there really needs to be like a Bob Dylan romantic song compilation. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that yet. Like just. You know what I mean? Like, just put out some of his best love songs on a on a collection or something. They gotta. Sony keeps trying to repurpose his music. They gotta do that. They put this, this song needs to be on there. So, go uh, go check it out. It's I want you on Blonde on Blonde. And of course, if you don't own Blonde on Blonde, for Pete's sakes, go buy it. It's available everywhere. You need to own this. So, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.